You're listening to Back to the Light with J.D. Rieger, the inspiration train. Welcome to yet another episode of Back to the Light. I am J.D. Rieger. It feels like it's been forever since I've spoken with you, even though, as I record this, it's only been two weeks. But so much has happened in that short time that I don't quite know where to begin, especially considering the news coming out of New Orleans this morning, which is frightening. But on the Back to the Light front, we've had a lot of legitimately good news lately. The new Loose Opinions album, Shadow of a Shadow, is out. Thank you to everyone who has purchased the vinyl, CD, or download. And thank you to Alex Green at the Memphis Flyer for that glowing review. If you haven't heard Shadow of a Shadow yet, you can do so now at looseopinions.com or backtothelight.net. We've also added a new podcast to the Back to the Light Network family, my good friend and former bandmate in Pez, Marvin Stockwell's Champions of the Lost Causes. In each episode, Marv chats with a different nonprofit champion or social entrepreneur about the calling to do good work. You can find it via the network tab at backtothelight.net or on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, etc. Now, the reason I've mentioned both of these things at the top of the show is because what we're about to listen to directly relates to both. On Friday, August 20th, we taped our first ever Back to the Light live conversation in front of a small audience at the Memphis Listening Lab featuring Graham Burks from Loose Opinions and Marvin from Champions of the Lost Causes. And that's going to be the show this week thanks to a live recording by Eric Wilson. So sit back, let's travel back in time and across state lines to my conversation with Graham and Marvin at the Memphis Listening Lab. Did everybody out there enjoy Shadow of a Shadow? Well... We're going to open the floor up to notes and queries later. So, Graham, Graham, before we get into the album itself, tell me, what was your last collection of songs before this? Was that Perfect Vessels? or Perfect Vessels would have been the last time that, um, that I was the chief songwriter in a band, I guess. Talk to the mic. Check. Yeah, so check. I, actually, most recently before... Um, uh, loose opinions. I was uh, doing this electronic music project I called Infinity Stairs, and it was just you know I was attempting to be a one man band and uh, bring a bunch of synthesizers out and play them live in front of people in a way that didn't feel like I was just hitting play on a uh, a laptop. So I had like a bunch of loop pedals, and I could like kind of lay down the parts and then layer them. And actually, a lot of the music that I was um, making as instrumental music with Infinity Stairs became Loose Opinion Song. So it kind of laid the groundwork for this one-man band thing, uh, but very hard pivot into like songs and pop songwriting and kind of more song structure. So what made you decide to develop these songs beyond the electronic one-man band sort of format? Um, trying to think about like where the, like what inspired the pivot. Um, Part of it is that like when I'm making electronic music, it just feels like such a wide open sea of options. And there's just, you can go anywhere and you can get 
caught in the loop, and sometimes it just kind of feels boring. And um, really, like I started making better electronic music when I started thinking of it in like sort of verse, chorus, verse song structures. Um, in my mind, even if something was like just like really abstract, I would think of that little abstract section as the verse, and then the catchier abstract section as the chorus, and so it started coming together. And so it wasn't. Um, I just kind of found, you know, as, as experimental as I was trying to be with Infinity Stairs, I just kind of found my way back into making rock and roll. You know, lyrics started coming out on top of these these songs, and the next thing you know, I had loose opinions. I know you're going to take great pleasure in telling this next part of the story. I think another key element of making this record is the space that you built to make it in above your garage at your house. So tell me about the amount of time and effort that went into making a soundproofed garage over the garage recording studio. Oh yeah. Fun. Um, so I, I guess like one thing, one thing that's like kind of relevant to this event here is, you know, I was really excited to get to do this listening party here because like, my house is in the shadow of Crosstown. I, I, um, I moved into uh, this neighborhood um, two months before the pandemic started. Um, bought the house because it had this like unfinished space in my backyard. It was like over the garage. And um, we were going to have to finish it anyway, so I got to finish it the way I wanted to. Um, and so I did a whole bunch of research on how to um, soundproof a room. I brought a bunch of contractors over, and most people rolled their eyes when I would start telling these experienced builders how to build a room, um, finally found um, a cool contractor who was um, up for the challenge, and uh, we we figured out you know how to um, you know they say if if you think of the room as like a, an aquarium uh, and you have a a hole, then all the water is going to leak out. The same as with sound, so we had to kind of make the sound tight room inside of a room, and we built this the space. Uh, with the intention of it being uh, where I could like jam out with with live bands and and not bother the neighbors, um, well then March 2020 rolled around right when I kind of finished the room, and um, I was playing in a band called Mama Honey and we tried to practice a couple of times and we were all just being ultra careful and uh, eventually I figured out that uh, you know all, we all figured out that live music wasn't happening and and all of our bands went on hiatus. Um, and I had this sort of brand new space that I built out to be creative in. Um, I don't know if you ever do this, but like you kind of get all the pieces in place to be creative, almost as a distraction from um, having to do the work. <laughs> kind of had the band room put together, built out, ready to be creative, and I would sit there and stare at the walls. And, and um, Mise en place, they call it in the restaurant world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the the world was turned upside down, too. It was in the very inspiring world that we were all living in in, in early 2020. And um, I was just on empty when it came to inspiration. And um, would go in there. Sometimes I'd, it wasn't writer's block. I would make music. It was just uninspired bad music. And um, did that for a long time. It wasn't until uh, July, I remember, um, kind of the the inspiration striking and things becoming unblocked. Talk a little bit about how much bad music and failed attempts it takes to get from, (laughs) from, you know, having everything set up and ready to go. And now we just listen to a a finished product in the next room. How much error is involved in that? We call that the B sides album. (laughs) I have one of those coming out. Um, you know, I, 
Maybe an, a better way to ask is how much is on the cutting room floor? Yeah, a lot. A lot. A lot of weird, bad songs. <laughs> um, uh, my process is funny. Um, my songs, there, well, there's no, there's no predictable process. I don't have, like, I, I don't always start a song the same way. It's, it's a lot of luck and um, magic. And um, so sometimes I'll go in the music room and I'll, I'll kind of fire up my infinity stair setup, the loop pedals, and I'll just kind of like start playing drums and hit a little button and the drums keep playing. And I'll start jamming on some bass and um, sometimes it goes somewhere, sometimes it doesn't. And when it goes somewhere, I get really excited about it. And I, and I try and like, if I don't um, jump on the inspiration train right then, then it ends up in a folder and I never go back to it. It's so there's a lot of that. There's, folders full of and i i name my my failed attempts like weird names and i can never figure out like what you know like uh i i don't know like a uh, peanut butter banana sandwich really is supposed to sound <laughs> like <laughs> um so it's 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 um if i don't like jump on the inspiration train right then and and grab that magic and, and finish like kind of get the song started then it kind of becomes uh, what you called like left on the cutting room floor and I got folders full of that stuff at what point did it become clear to you that you were making a new record that you weren't just like goofing off in the studio um, well I think there was this uh, it, a midpoint so there was like goofing off in the studio and then I was starting to like actually have finished songs that I was proud of one or two finished songs I was proud of coming out and I had this attitude like, well, the way the kids put music out these days, it's just like everybody's live streaming. Everybody's just putting it out as they create it. Um, so I decided I was going to start a SoundCloud page, and every time I finished a song, I would just put it out there. And I was doing that. I did that for probably three or four songs. Um, I was looking at how people were releasing their music on SoundCloud, and people would put a song out there, and it would get like 6,000 plays and mine would get like 32 plays, you know, from like posting it like 800 times on Facebook and begging my friends to listen to it and you know, like, like looking at it getting 32 plays. And so I was like, you know, sort of disappointed with that process anyway. And, and I shared some of it with you. And this is kind of the midpoint between them like being, you know, um, songs and like deciding I was going to make an album. You, you were like starting a label and you said, man, you should put this stuff out. And I was like, I am putting it out. I'm putting it out on SoundCloud. Like, that's how people do it these days. And they're like, no, man, you, you need to put a record out the right way. And so I did. And I listened to you. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I did because um, you, I started thinking about these songs way differently um, the second I started thinking about it was an album. started thinking about, like, the, them coming together in a way that meant something and being cohesive and... Um, started figuring out how many minutes of music you can fit on a side of vinyl and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it was really a game changer when I started thinking I'm making an album instead of I'm just releasing songs as I finish them. Let's talk a little bit about the decision to make the album, uh, the songs are not broken up. Each side is a continuous play. How did you arrive at that? Yeah, so um, part of it was... I just said it like how many minutes of music can I fit on a, a side of vinyl? And um, once I kind of knew it, I, I knew like kind of the material I was working with. I, I knew about how many songs I had. I had like these, these nine songs. And um, a lot of these songs had that um, had been born as these loops, you know, where uh, like 
really what I would do as a, a live looper is kind of develop the beginning of a song and then um, so you can watch me building the layers and then I would kind of go into song mode and, and now like um, uh, so so the, a lot of that kind of like build up before you're into the song came from that that um, that format and then I would do that like sometimes coming out of songs in infinity stairs and so um, I I had these little segues already, and so I started figuring out that like I could stitch a whole album together like like that, and it would be cool. That was one aspect to it. Um, the other aspect to it was uh, the song is the whole album is really sort of um, meta. I don't know. I guess you'd call it like like it's about the creative process of making the album. I guess <laughs> it's about like um, being completely uninspired in a, a world that like uh, you know. I felt very empty in. Um, I felt really insignificant um, in my place, sort of in Memphis music. Um, I'd been kind of playing like a, a supporting role in a lot of other people's bands, you know, and um, kind of reflecting on how I felt, like, you know, reflecting on how uh, insignificant you feel, like, while the world's turned upside down and you're feeling pretty empty, too, is a um, pretty bad place to be in uh, creatively. Um, and so the first side of the album is sort of about that. So it's all kind of strung together in this story. Um, and then the second side of the album um, is mostly got written after, after um, my change of heart, I would say. And what's that second side of the album called, Graham? <laughs> so side one uh, is called part one, The Shadow of Doubt. And side two is called part two, Back to the Light. And where did you? Where on earth did you find that name? <laughs> yeah. So when you started the label, Back to the Light was um, right around the time that I was starting to um, pick my head up. To um, I know you have a, uh, you've got a more. I, I think you've got a more intense version of this story. I know you were you were going through some darker times, and um, it's not a competition. No, it. I, you you went. I. I I, I know your story, and um, I know that you you really like turned your life around. Uh, when I saw that, it it put what I was going through in perspective. You know, I was like kind of creatively stuck. You you turned your whole life around. It was like super inspiring to me. And um, and then also like you know we were all like wiping down our groceries with disinfectant wipes still, and um, living a very sort of like uh, careful existence because of the virus, and then. Um, you know, the George Floyd situation happened and the Black Lives Matter movement um, started happening. I remember being out to dinner with my wife on a patio. This is like the first time we went out and, and sat on a patio and um, having dinner, wiping down our water glasses, all masked up, tables 15 feet apart. And um, in this protest, you know, these, this march came down the street. And um, I just remember feeling like, wow, these people have something that's more important than the virus to be to care about. And um, was super inspired by like people taking to the street uh, for, on a cause that was like way more important than the virus, and that got me snapped out of like everything I was worrying about. That in combination with seeing you uh, start this label and, and kind of turn your life around, so I, I decided to name part two after your your project. And then I forgot to ask permission. I was just I, I, you asked for the album art one day, and I sent it to you, and I had meant to ask you if that was cool and and i just like sent it to you before i got around to asking you and you noticed first yeah i remember i just said hey man that's title of that second side is pretty cool <laughs> i was like 
Don't forgot to ask. <laughs> well, um, before you and I wrap up and we move on to our special surprise guest, who is among you, how, how many times would you say you and I talk every day? Uh, yeah, five times, six times a day. It's, it's, um, I don't know if you could put a number on it. It's just this ongoing stream. I, it's funny. Um, this week in particular, I was looking for a phone number uh, that you sent me earlier in the week, and I had to like kind of stro- scroll back through our conversation. I was like, wow, this was a crazy week. I, I relived it this morning. I was like, what a messed up week. We, JD and I like, you know, put a lot of work into this series of events this weekend, and, um, and we are where we are. Um, with this resurgence and we we've done everything we could to pull off a safe event and um it was a not so week we talked a lot absolutely we do a lot we do even not in not so weeks we talk a lot well one more time can we get a round of applause for shadow of the shadow by loose opinions if anyone doesn't have it please pick one up once we're done Graham, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, and thank, thank all of you again. This is just so humbling. I really appreciate it. Thanks. So the next part of this is uh, Back to the Light is not only a record label, but a podcast network. And you know what carries my show, Back to the Light? We do the Shangri-La Records podcast, and we've carried the Jack Alberson song story. We are adding a new show starting on Monday, and the host of that show is right here, Mr. Marvin Stockwell. Hello. Thanks, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to uh, bring Champions of the Lost Causes uh, to Back to the Light. And uh, we, were, we were talking about the, the, uh, the, the kind of, or maybe I should just let you start, <laughs> start with a question. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, tell, do this. Tell, I think you're good there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, tell us, previously your podcast was on a network that is sadly no longer yeah. with us. Yeah, the OAM network uh, here in, in it was in it was in Crosstown, and that's where I started my podcast. Uh, I've been writing a a book uh, called Champions of the Lost Causes for uh, about one hundred thirty thousand words into it, uh, where I got really curious about why people champion causes, um, and what sustains them, and what helps them succeed. And it's really I got curious about that because, as a lot of you may or may not know. Uh, I've spent the last almost seven years uh, championing the cause of the Mid-South Coliseum and an equitable uh, uh, redo of, the, of our fairgrounds. You're rocking the T-shirt. I am. This is a Jamie Harmon uh, Coliseum uh, T-shirt. Uh, but I just got – yeah, yeah, give it up for Jamie. Um, but I just got really curious about why, why did I have the fire in the gut to stick with it for this long? Um uh, Mike McCarthy, who's here in, in, in the back, uh, you know, he, he was the one who kind of enlisted my help. He and I co-founded uh, the Coliseum Coalition with our friend Jordan Daniels. Uh, and we've been thankfully able to save the Coliseum. But and now we're working really closely with the city to to find a third party investment, which that's where those of us in uh, the, at the city and those of us in the grassroots are most aligned is that we know that there's there's going to need to be third-party investment. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to your show, yeah. Champions of the Lost Cause. Causes, yeah. Causes. Tell people who don't know, I mean, what is the basic idea of the show? What's the elevator pitch? Yeah, so um, I, I interview, on the show, I interview people who champion other causes. 
Uh, and so, for instance, I've had Ginger Spickler on to talk about how Crosstown High was, was uh, formed. I've had uh, Rashoon Austin on the show to talk about affordable housing in Memphis. Uh, I've had I've had you on the podcast uh, as well, and I should say uh, having you on the show really opened me up to see kind of a different side of why people champion causes, and that is I, I've learned that we champion the kind of temporal causes in our life, whatever it is. You know, what gave people the the strength to stop I forty from going through Overton Park, et cetera, or save the shell. Uh, but I realized, back to what Graham was talking about, um, uh, not to tell you like your, your story, but like you, right before you started your podcast, uh, you were telling me kind of what you thought it would be about and you kind of didn't know. And you're heading into it and you wanted to call it Back to the Light. And uh, I thought, JD is really primarily championing the cause of his life. Uh, by demanding the best of yourself and you know and reading yourself the riot act of self creation and I was really inspired by that uh, and I thought ah that's the thing in the backdrop of all of our lives is the uber cause that kind of like stretches out over the co- the course of our entire life so why am I championing the cause of the Coliseum it's because I want to make the best use of my time in this life you know not to get <laughs> too meta about that but uh, but so yeah the the, the show is like, why do why does David uh, try to uh, face off with Goliath and 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 do something that's un that's either called forth out of you out of crisis like with us you know there was a plan to demolish the Colosseum and we just like shook, that that team of people came together. Uh, other times it's that people see an incredible opportunity, um, like Todd Richardson and this this crazy place Crosstown Concourse. So I just got intrigued by that, and, and I just wondered why people – and I, I think it has to do with the fact that we all want to make a difference uh, in, in this world. When is the show going to be launching, Marv? I know this qu- answer already, obviously, yeah. but let's tell everyone when can they hear new episodes on the Back to the Light Network. Monday. Uh, Monday is the first episode we'll have with uh, Victoria Jones, the executive director of Tone. Um, which used to be called The Collective. And I interviewed her right before the news broke uh, about uh, Tone and um, Unapologetic, uh, the label, um, joining forces to to uh, create uh, that, that building, that really tall building down on Lamar, yeah, yeah. Uh, into Orange Mound Tower. And I thought, wow, that is really, truly incredible. So, like, I, I wanted to interview her about that, about – but and I – I went into the interview not knowing that that Tone was kind of like rebranding as Tone, but it's it's a it's a really great interview, and uh, I'm just glad uh, that it's finally kind of come out. So, I'm a host. You're a host. Yeah. What makes you a good interviewer? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think uh, I, I like to um, yeah, really kind of like lin- listen empathetically. And really kind of listen for the deeper meaning of what somebody's really saying. I find that, like, the the surface answers that often kind of, like, are the first things we throw out often aren't uh, the true motivation that underlie. Uh, There's a good, good example. A friend of mine, uh, he and I were working on trying to do uh, a pro bono cleaning of the Coliseum in exchange for PR value. 
And the more I got to talking to him, I thought to myself, why is this guy working so hard to help me? And I realized it's then he got to telling me the backstory of remembering when he was growing up, going to the Coliseum and seeing wrestling with his grandfather and about how when he his father got a job in New Jersey and they moved up there. He found these two other kids in his new class that loved wrestling, and he had instant cred because he was from Memphis, you know, the fertile uh, breeding ground for wrestling. And I just think those are the reasons we really dig in, and 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 it, it's it's what mattered to us uh, in our formative years. And it's like that that's not the first answer you'll hear. And I, so I just try to talk with people long enough to kind of get at. Um, you know what gave rise to uh, it's kind of my my, my producer uh, uh, Ryan Azada has helped me. We're, we're trying to make the show tighter, fit the kind of like NPR time clock, uh, and what you see developing is is a three act play. Act one is what gave you the idea to d- to do this, and what did you set out to address. Act two is once you once you stood that up and addressed what you set out to do, what what came next. And Act Three is like, what does it say about like the meaning of your life? And you know, it, it, and it gets like, what's the what real, we learn? What did we learn? <laughs> what did we learn? Yeah, that's right. Uh, what what gave you the uh, the thought? Uh, I, I, I'd love Marv's podcast to be on Back to the Light. Well, I'm, I mean, setting aside that we're friends, and I just love working yeah. on projects with friends. That's you know, so much of. Uh, you end up having to spend so much time with someone when you work together closely. It helps if you actually like talking to them. Yeah, yeah. So no. that was. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I think you know you've always been a good journalist. You've always been a good writer, and like kind of been good at dissecting you know motivations and like that's what makes you a good PR guy. I think you know yeah. how to read people well, and yeah. so I think that translates. To very easily to hosting a podcast, certainly, yeah. yeah, yeah. It really is journalism, isn't it? Uh, and and of course, yes. I mean, it's founded, it's just it's the fun part of journalism, <laughs> and it's founded on friendship. You know, like uh, 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 many people may, may not know, like JD and I worked on Rock for Love, the annual church health uh, benefit show for eleven years. So, like we've we've <laughs> we've done a lot of stuff together. We've seen a lot. It felt like getting the band back together. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, setting aside that, it's also good, you know, clearly what you're doing is important. It's good to talk about why we do things. Why do we support causes? And, you know, I've got my show is about rock and roll, man. Let's, let's have something a little more serious on the network. Yeah. And, and I should ask you, like, so um, what's the meaning behind the name Back to the Light? Because I'm a fan of light imagery, as you know. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I'm a fan of the band <laughs> Not A Surf. Originally, I was going to call the podcast Out of the Dark because I thought that was more obvious. But then I found out Not A Surf has, a, has it had a new song on their record called Out of the Dark. So I figured I couldn't just be constantly coattail riding those guys. So I had to come up with my own name. And Back to the Light was just another way of saying it. Yeah. Um that's interesting you know like uh one of the things that appealed to me because i love light imagery is like this idea that um you know the the old christopher saying you light one candle instead of cursing the darkness and i I just think if you've ever been to 
you know, an Easter vigil service or whatever, and you wear the, the different candles, kind of like pass from one candle to the next, and the sanctuary fills with light. That name really appealed to me because I think that's what we do when we champion causes. Like, we come together as people, and then we, like, we kind of shepherd that light, and we shine it on a particular thing we're working on. So, like, the, the imagery, uh, the, the light imagery just, just worked really well for me. Obviously, I went through a pretty major depressive episode, uh-huh. and um, thankfully, I found a good therapist in Chicago and found my way out of it. Yeah. And I know for a fact that if I hadn't done that, that you know we wouldn't be sitting here uh, right now. There's no way I'd probably be back at that record store hating my life. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and let me just like uh, affirm you, like ther- therapy. I-, I think one of the things that the that the pandemic really brought to the fore was the importance of mental health. Uh, one of the first stories uh, I left St. Jude in, in in May, but in the heat of the pandemic, uh, we were we were kind of like the whole world paused as we tried to figure out what does the world need to hear from St. Jude. Uh, and the very first thing that I was able to pitch was actually a coronavirus coloring book, which set kids ages five to nine at ease about their pandemic fears, gave parents a tool to work with kids. And I worked with the, those five uh, uh, women who, who did that uh, over the course of the next six months as we rolled out additional resources. And it's like right when psychology really kind of came to the fore in the pandemic. Uh, and... And, you know, I, I, I myself uh, can have seen the value of therapy. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm currently looking for full-time work in addition to doing uh, uh, the podcast and writing the book and saving the Coliseum. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot, but it is, it is valuable. It's a great resource. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad you found it. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I had, back. I had a therapist here in Memphis. Um, it was kind of a funny individual. He was all, he was all sweetness. He was all love. I needed someone to actually stop putting up with my bullshit. So, mm. thankfully, I found her. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I don't know. I I feel pretty good about this. Maybe yeah. we should let's listen to some music. Okay. And we'll uh, yeah Sounds talk amongst good. ourselves. Many thanks for being here. Really appreciate. Thanks, it. you guys. Thank you, JD. Back to the light.net. All right, let's close the show by playing my new single, Back Off, which you can find at jdrieger.bandcamp.com, backtothelight.net, or wherever you stream music. Here it is, Back Off. This is how it walks. This is how it always looks the same. Remember what she bought. Remember how it all came tumbling. You were right You were always so on top Of everything And it almost fell apart Now I've got this funny feeling We should be there by now Just when it 
the show thank you to graham burks from loose opinions thank you to marvin stockwell from champions of the lost causes thank you to eric wilson for recording our conversation live thank you to jim cole at the memphis listening lab for hosting us thank you for listening thank you to arthur with two h's for the opening theme thank you to joey pegram for the closing theme so many thank yous for music news and episode archives visit back to the light.net and until next time take care y'all Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.